0: You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Okay, well, yes, we are going to um, move somewhat quickly here. Uh, These core values are important, and these are the values that uh, we as a church are holding firm to. Um, But I'm going to encourage uh, you just in case there may be the sense in which, well, these are core values for redemption church. And that sounds fantastic. Um, I'm going to encourage you to shift your thinking on that. um, And I'll explain to you why The, the, the values that redemption church um uh, that we are forming we as a leadership uh, team have been encouraged uh, encouraging one another in and that we have formed together are not values that are really restricted to redemption church but as we walk through them and and again we're going to walk them quickly but as we walk through them i i pray that you recognize that these are actually core values of any Christian. Uh, In your Christian walk, you will find that these core values are important and they should be a part of you and your walk uh, with the Lord. So I'm not going to tarry long. I'm going to get right into it um, and discuss the core values. So these are the core values. I'm just going to call them out to you and then we will walk through them uh, one at a time. Um, So the core values are the following. The centrality of Christ, expositional preaching, covenant membership, elder-led, unity and diversity, intentional worship, community serving, simplicity and focus, family discipleship, hospitable evangelism, and church planting. Now, when you think about core values, uh, there are a number of things that can come to mind. And as I was preparing for this I was trying to think of how to really summarize what a core value uh, might be. So, of course, um, as all wonderful, great thinkers do these days, I turned to Google. And, um, and Google had a few things to say, and I found a number of articles, some from Forbes Magazine and from a, a number of other different sources. And I'm just going to read one of them. I have found several, but I'm just going to read one of these to you that I found uh, particularly um, succinct and articulate in what we're going to be discussing tonight. And it says this. Uh, your core values guide your behaviors, decisions, and action. They let you know what you value, what you can live in accord with, uh, and the leadership, um, what is expected of them to fulfill those values and those things that you hold dear to you, and also to hold you accountable so that you can know when you violate them. And so what you will notice in uh, in, in this definition that's provided here is that core values somewhat set the parameters for us to live by. They give us where, where we want to be centrally, but then they also will allow us to buffer when and where we might falter or go just a bit too far astray. And so as we walk through these, I'm going to read them and then just give a brief explanation behind them and give some talking points about them. So the centrality of Christ. At Redemption Church, we want to make Christ explicit and center. All we do, around our lord. We never want to assume the gospel nor minimize the gospel, rather we want to center our covenant community around Jesus. This is this seems somewhat straightforward, but it's very critical as as Justin spoke about this morning. When we think about church and what we're doing together, the centrality of Christ becomes supreme. And and as it says here, we never want to. Where's my little? There we are. Uh, we never want to assume the gospel, nor do we want to minimize the gospel. And what it's saying here is, we never want to assume that we're doing. What Christ would do. Nor do we ever want to minimize what we're doing for the sake of Christ. We want to always refer back to the scriptures and make sure that we are somewhat checking ourselves and making sure that we are a reflection, that we are ambassadors for Christ. So never make assumptions. Never just say, well, what I'm doing feels good, sounds good, so I'm sure it's biblical. Where's the text that supports your position? How are you coming to this conclusion? What is driving this desire of yours? Um, and as as Paul said, and even speaking to uh, the Corinthian church, he says, "With without the resurrection." Our hope is in vain. Your faith is in vain. So everything really centers on Christ. Everything uh, comes down to the culmination of history comes down to Christ, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So if we don't build our community around that, then what we're going to do is we're going to misshape what the church is supposed to look like. So the centrality of Christ is absolutely necessary. Okay? Expositional preaching. Because the Bible is the word of God and the authoritative word of Christ, we will faithfully proclaim the infallible and inerrant word of God. Therefore, our preaching and teaching will center around the exposition of the biblical text, primarily by teaching through books of the Bible. We believe expositional preaching best builds up the body of Christ to maturity and proclaims the gospel to the lost. So expositional preaching. Question by show of hands. Who knows what expositional preaching is? Who says, I think I know what it is. It's okay to be honest. You're in church. <laughs> Who's like, I have no idea what it sounds. Sa- I have no idea, but it sounds cool. All right. So that's okay. If you don't want to be honest. I'll, I'll be praying for you. So, <laughs> so expositional preaching, it just means to explain. Expository preaching is we want to explain what the text says. So as opposed to just saying, as opposed to just reading John 3.16, for God so loved the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we say this is what John, this is what John 3.16 says. This is a background of John 3.16. This is the original text of John 3.16 in the Greek, and here are some ways that this could be interpreted. This is how we understand it and we apply it. This is the cultural background of the book of John. This is who we know John to be and what we know about John. And so you explain the text. Why is this important? Why is this a core value of Redemption Church? And Thramon, what argument would you make for it being a core value in a Christian's life? Well, when we think about expositional preaching, what you're doing is you're actually retaining the focus of your learning, your education, your teaching on the Bible? Well, as opposed to what? As opposed to constantly referring to what's called topical preaching or saying, well, I'm going to talk about this topic this week and this topic next week. Well, is topical preaching bad? No, it's not. I wouldn't say it's bad because Justin just did it this morning. So I would never say that, particularly with him sitting right back there. Topical preaching is not bad here and there. And as Justin has said, during the summer, we want to focus on some some certain topics. But as soon as we do covenant together, he's going to revert back to, and I know many of some of you have have asked about that, he's going to revert back to his normal style of expositional preaching. Because what that does is it says, hey, this is what the scriptures say, and we're going to walk through it. So we're not just going to go to John three sixteen and relate it back to another passage from Luke. No, we're going to go from John 3, 1. And walk our way all the way through. You know what it also does? Walking through books of the Bible verse by verse, what it also does is it keeps you from cherry picking. So if you say we're going to read John chapter three, you're going to start in verse one and walk all the way through it. Well, what happens when it gets to a difficult topic? We're going to walk all the way through it. Well, what happens when it gets to a topic that I'm uncomfortable with? We're going to walk all the way through it. Why? Because it is the word of God. It's not your word. And if it was good enough for the Holy Spirit to include it, I think it's good enough for us to study it. Amen. So we're going to walk through this. So expositional preaching provides deep thought It provides background, cultural context. And it's important for us to be grounded in. You know, it's really fascinating if you it, when, when you start to start to study in this fashion and start to look at the background of books, it actually protects you as well from heresy. One of the things that I've I've learned even just um, from our short, my short friendship with Grayson and I've looked at him like, man, he was right. The book of James is such a marvelous book and it's very practical in its application. There's some theology there. Absolutely. But it's very practical in its application. So if I was talking to someone and they said, oh, man, that theology of James is amazing. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not a whole lot there. It's really more practical application. It provides you with a buffer so that you can understand and protect yourself when people try to misconstrue the scriptures. Does that make sense? So expositional preaching provides for things like that. Next, we have covenant membership. Church membership is covenantal, meaning that we bind ourselves to one another and a local uh And a local church body before God as uh, believers in Jesus Christ. This means that we take membership very seriously, seeking to preserve the Baptist distinctive of regenerate church membership, providing discipleship and care to covenant members, and when necessary, providing loving confronting um, of sin and restorative church discipline. This is the thing with, uh, with covenant membership. There are two or three major items. The first thing is this. What covenant membership does is it says church membership is important. You should not make a decision on joining a church flippantly because when you do just as easy as you made that decision, it can be easy to walk away from that decision. Church membership should be something that you commit to. You take your time with that. You consider prayerfully as well as practically as you make this decision. And when you do make that decision, it is a commitment that you are making to the church, but the church is also making with you. See, this is a two way street. And so what we do is we say, I, as a church member, I'm committed to this church, local, this loyal, um, excuse me, loyal to this local body of believers, and I'm going to support them. I'm going to support them with my resources. I'm going to support them with my time, with my energy, with my efforts. Financially, I'm going to support them. I'm going to support them with my home where I can. I'm going to be friends with them. I'm going to share life with them. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to cry with them. I'm going to rejoice with them. You know what that church is also saying to you? We're going to do the same back to you. So when you're in need, brother, you let us know. Share life with us. When you are rejoicing, brother, let us know because we want to rejoice with you. When you are burdened, sister, let us know because we want to cry alongside you. Covenant is an agreement that that goes both ways. So a covenant membership is one in which you say, I'm covenanting with you and you with me. And this is seen throughout scripture because God himself makes a covenant with his people. He says to his people, you worship me. When you abide in me, I will abide in you. And so when we think about covenant membership, it gets a bit of a bad rap in some circles, but it really is a biblical concept that you are agreeing to a local body and that local body is agreeing with you. Next, we have Elder led. As a Baptist church, we are strongly committed to congregationalism. However, we believe the biblical pattern is that local churches should be led by a plurality of elders who are called, gifted, and Christ-like men selected by the congregation. The congregation will have a disposition of trust towards the elders, eagerly and joyfully submitting to their leadership. At the same time, the congregation will provide accountability to the elders to be sure they shepherd in accordance to the word of God. So elder-led, what you will notice through... Throughout the scriptures, obviously, we're talking about the New Testament here. What you will notice throughout the scriptures is that whenever Paul mentions elder, it's plural. The elders. He never just says elder. It's the elders. It's always plural. And so it's important that we look at that and then we ask ourselves, well, is that prescriptive or descriptive? Is Paul prescribing that as this should be the norm, or is it just descriptive? He's just describing what the situation is at that time. Well, I would argue that it's prescriptive. Uh, And the reason for that is because not only does Paul refer to them in these letters that he writes to the churches, but also he establishes elders, plural, wherever he goes. So he doesn't only write to them, showing that it's descriptive. That's just the situation as it is. But wherever Paul establishes a church, he always establishes multiple elders. So not only is he writing to the situation, but when he goes and creates a church, establishes a church, he establishes it with a plurality of elders. So we see that example there. Um, but, But just from a practical standpoint, a plurality of elders also provides accountability it's not just one person in charge but you have a leadership team but at the same time and as our as the um uh, as the as we read here uh com- with congregationalism the congregation the people who have covenanted together they also are they also have the authority and power to speak to accountability for the leadership team again this just kind of speaks to that to to that covenant membership the leadership team is saying we are we are going to be responsible for you and your growth and admonishment as well as discipline and we are also accountable to you. Notice that it says here that there is a um that you're you're gonna have a disposition. Where are we at? Here, here you go. You're gonna have a disposition of trust. It doesn't say blind faith. Because why? We're men. (laughs) We're not God. There will be mistakes that are made. So you're going to have a disposition of trust. It doesn't mean that mistakes won't be made. It doesn't mean that we won't have a bad day and say something perhaps in haste that we probably should not have said. And at those times, it is upon you to bring that to our attention so that we can um, so that we can correct ourselves and that we can ask you for forgiveness and pray for forgiveness ourselves. So it's not either or, but it's both. And it is a covenant relationship unity and diversity. Our desire is for redemption church to reflect the ethnic and social diversity of our own community. As the Lord brings together people from every sort of background, despite our diversity, we are united by our common salvation and fellowship. We share in Jesus Christ. As we are united to Christ by faith and bound in covenant to one another, we celebrate our diversity and find our unity in Christ alone. What I find particularly uh, fascinating about this as the only, um, melanin, fully toned human being in the room um, is this. It's not only ethnic diversity. And of course, I'm not so narrow minded as to believe that ethnicity is just, you know, black or white, but it's not just ethnic, but it's also social diversity. Particularly in America, we get caught up into the black, white thing, black, brown thing and et cetera, et cetera, any other color you you choose to pick. Um, but diversity is more than just race. It's more than just ethnicity. You can have diversity of socioeconomic status. You can have diversities of families, family dynamics. You can have diversities of abilities, diversity of education. There are lots of different ways that you can have diversity. It's not just simply your skin color. So never fall back. I would encourage you, okay? I would encourage you never to fall back on Well, we're diverse. Well, why? Because we have one black family. No, that doesn't make you diverse, okay? First of all, one black family is not diverse. I mean, just call it what it is, okay? But that doesn't make you diverse. Well, we've we've got five. That doesn't make you diverse. What makes you diverse is you have a difference of people. I'm a person, you're a person. We're different. We don't come from the same background culturally. We didn't grow up in the same area. We didn't go to the same high school. We don't have the same type of job. We might have different political views. That's diversity. But what brings us together? Christ. And that's the beauty of diversity. There's a wonderful article um, on the Gospel Co- uh, website, Gospel Coalition, um, and it is called Should, Church Should Be Uncomfortable. I may be badgering that it's like church should make you uncomfortable. And the point of the article is this. If you are super comfortable in church, then that is actually not as sanctifying as you being in a church where I don't know how to relate to this person. Yay. Why, Why is that? Yay. If you cannot naturally relate to somebody, then it must take a supernatural thing to relate to them. What thing might that be? So when you rely on, well, my color is similar to his. Well, I know her background and we grew up together. Well, we'll have the same interest. I'm an adrenaline junkie. She wants to go skydiving. We are going to hit it off. Yes. Okay. When you rely on those things, then you become very man-centered, as opposed to making it Christ-centered and saying, well, I'm an intellectual and this person works with their hands all day. But well, you know we can come together in Christ, because it is because it is Christ that abolishes all of those walls. Because we are all one in Him, we're neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female, nor slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. So that's the beauty beauty of of, of diversity. Intentional worship. In our worship, we are convinced of the regulative principle—that sounds familiar—that the Scriptures determine our worship practices. Therefore, we want to be intentional in our worship services, which will include the reading of Scripture, prayer, congregational singing, the preaching of the Scriptures, the ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. In our worship order, we aim to be intentional in rooting our worship in the historic pattern of Christian worship while expressing our worship in a way that's culturally engaging with our context." The important word that I would draw your attention to as I studied through this is this word here. Intentional. When you say intentional, you mean it is purposive, purposeful. Excuse me. It is purposeful. I'm doing this for a set purpose. I'm not doing it because it feels good. I'm not doing it because that's kind of the way that the wind is blowing right now. I'm doing it with a set intent and that intent is always to worship God and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what the regulative principle and Justin spoke about it this morning, what the regulative principle um, speaks to is this is what scripture lays out for us as what worship should be. And this is what we will aspire and strive toward. Now people, some people can take this to extremes and they can say, well, The Bible doesn't say anything about, you know, instruments. So you shouldn't have instruments in worship. Okay, yeah, that's just kind of wacky. My words, not his. OK, uh, that should know. But, but what I'm saying is we don't want to take something to the extreme of saying that, well, if it's not in the Bible, then we won't do it. And the reason for that is because what that does is that tra- that transforms you into a thinking, rational, intellectual being that God has created you to be and into a robot. And God did not design us to be robots. God designed us with a thinking, rational mind. And so as we read the scriptures, if scripture speaks against it, we will abhor that. Absolutely. But as scripture allows for this gray area, what we would do is we will approach it cautiously and with prayer, but with intentionality. And that intentionality is toward worshiping God. So if we cannot ask ourselves, if we cannot ask ourselves, am I doing this? Excuse me. We should ask ourselves, am I doing this? Because this is worshiping God and this is edifying to him and edifying to the saints Or am I doing this because it makes me feel comfortable and or this is what's popular and or the church down the street does it this way. And they are huge. If we're doing it for those sets of reasons, then we ought to reflect on that, repent of that and move toward the scriptures as best as we can. Amen. So that is intentional worship community serving redemption church is focused on loving and serving the community of Wilson and the surrounding areas. We engage in mercy ministries and be act and will be active in the city of Wilson, seeking to do it good as we herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was a note that I have here to have the heart of the gospel and not have a heart for the lowly is to be disconnected in some way to have a heart for of the God, excuse me, to have a heart for the gospel and not have a heart for the lowly is to be disconnected in some way. Why is that, Ramon? Because to have a heart for the gospel is to have a heart for the lost. Well, they're not lost, they're just I uh, mean they've made some poor decisions in life. They're lost. Well, they they just have a physical ailment. They're lost. You, you notice, I, I'm reading through the book of Luke now, and what you see throughout Luke and throughout the Gospels, for that matter, is Jesus constantly healing those who cry out to him and even those who don't cry out to him. And he does not simply say to them, well, I could heal you or perhaps I should heal you. But when he sees them, he has mercy on them. And we see this um, again from in in the book of Luke, where where you have the the uh, the lame beggar saying, just crying out to Jesus, crying out to Jesus, saying, son of David, please have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And the crowd of people trying to hush him down and hush him down. And he gets even louder and verbose. Jesus, son of man, son of God, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Jesus does not say to him, here is a sack of gold coins. Go and make yourself merry. But Jesus said, but Jesus does heal him. He provides for him. Now, I'm not sure if you have the power of healing in your fingertips. And if you do, I got a hip that I could really use to touch it. But no, if you, it's not that we are going to heal everyone, but to now have a heart for the lowly, to not have a heart for those who are uh, perhaps less blessed or less fortunate than you, I would say is to have a disconnect from the gospel. So I move on from there. family discipleship. We believe that I'm sorry, excuse me, simplicity and focus redemption church will be simple in our ministry uh, methodology and focused on our mission. We do not aim to provide a litany of programs and activities for consumers, but rather we seek to cultivate a culture for evangelism and disciple making that allows ministry to organically happen with minimalistic programming. You'll notice, um, uh, if you ask anybody from the leadership team, we we will definitely notice uh, Justin likes this word a lot. He really likes that word. Am I right? He likes that. Minimalistic. Um, and there is there is a very good reason why he likes to use that word and re- repeats that word. Oftentimes, um, churches get bogged down and weighed down and drained by trying to have so many different moving parts. What we want to do is we want to focus on evangelism. We want to focus on reaching the lost, but also edifying the saints. And and one of the ways that you can miss that, that you can stretch yourself thin, is by trying to have so many different programs going on. Because you stretch your volunteers thin, you stretch your resources thin. And what happens is as people get burnt out, that message that they were so excited about sharing has now become become a burden to them. And has not become a beautiful burden on their heart that God has placed, but it has become a chore. And we never want the gospel to be a chore. So we want to be minimalistic. It doesn't mean that we cannot have this program or that program. But what it does mean is that we want to be simplistic in our programming and make sure that it is intentional, that this will be effective in reaching the loss as well as building up the saints. Amen. Uh, family discipleship. We've got just a few more here, and I'm going to go through these uh, rather quickly, but I don't want to skip over anything because these are so critical. We believe that parents should be the primary evangelists and disciple makers in the lives of their children. Our children's ministries will not seek to compete with this God-given parental task, but rather come alongside parents to equip and encourage them in their ministry to their children. Our ministries will serve as a complement to the work of family discipleship taking place in the home. And the go-to verse Uh, For this, of course, many of us are very familiar with um, comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, which is not loading on my tablet, of course, now that I want to uh, want to recite it. But it's Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, verse uh, seven through eight, I believe. And what it speaks to. Oh, here we go. Uh, And what it speaks to is this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What this is speaking to is a regular conversation that you're having with your children about the gospel. It doesn't mean that you need to go to seminary and be able to write a dissertation on theology and or the atonement and on Y, X or Z, but just speaking to them. What do you think about God? What do you think about uh, about being saved? As they're watching TV, asking them questions, what do you think that that means? And connecting them with the gospel, just having regular, natural, organic conversations so that they are thinking about these things and that they are studying these things. It's really important for them to be reminded of the commitment of your family to the scriptures, and so that's what family discipleship is. And if you are um, uh, unsure of how to move forward in that in that process, and we can come alongside you, not replace, but we can come alongside you, we want to do that because why? We're it's a covenant relationship that we have, so we want to support you. Hospital uh excuse me hospitable evangelism we want every member to be hospitable to those outside of the faith, building friendships with those who don't know Christ and inviting them into their homes and in order in order to live out and share the gospel. This great commission work should be evident in every member's life. you ever notice how when you have food around, people tend to relax a little bit, okay, I relax a lot when there is food around. I can't speak for you. Um, but when there's food on the table, it, it, it brings about a certain sense of community. We're sharing a meal together. And I, I don't think that it is by accident or by happenstance that Jesus would regularly share meals, not only with the disciples, not only with, with his, chosen, his chosen few, his inner circle at times, but also with the common people. With the lame, with beggars, with the women of the night, with the Pharisees, with people he knew wanted to kill him, he would still share a meal with them. I think that there's that speaks to something and I don't think that it's just a matter of, well, that's what Jesus did. But what should I do? I think that Jesus is living the example of what we should do. We should go be comfortable going into people's homes and we should be comfortable inviting them into ours. Well, Ramon, I live in a small apartment or my house isn't isn't the nicest. That's okay, because what it is, is you're opening up yourself and opening up your life with others and what you can do. at all times, what you can do at all times, is share a meal with somebody and then share the gospel with them. Live life with people. Be a living example of Christ and his love for others and just be a normal, regular person and just say, hi, would you like to come over for dinner? So that's that. I could go deeper into that, but time is short and um, I might start thinking about ribs and other things. Um, So Church planting. Uh, In order to advance the gospel, we want to raise up and train future leaders in order to send them out to plant new churches. We want to prioritize the training of future pastors and ministry leaders by providing them with the resources and skills to start new churches in North Carolina and beyond. Obviously, we have the Midcare family here who we want to partner with and pray for and support. Um, But that is the A core value that is a core value of not just redemption church but of a Christian's life. Notice when you look at the gospels, wherever, whenever Jesus healed people, um, when they when he would heal someone and they would say, I want to come with you, I want to follow you, he would turn them away. Jesus would always say to them, No, no, go about your way. He would instruct them to either not tell anybody. That didn't always work out well. Or he would tell them to go to the high priest to show them if they were a leper and he cleansed them of their leprosy. Go to the high priest and show them your body so they, they can know that you've been cleansed. He always would send people out. Jesus was on mission and he was planting churches and planting these people in places and sending them out. And he would always tell them to worship God. And so what we see here is this pattern of providing for someone a blessing because you have been blessed, but then not saying to them, now that I've blessed you, come in and be under me and let me let me let me tutor you and disciple you in all things. That wasn't always the case. What we see here is a pattern of I'm going to bless you because I have been blessed. Now go out and worship God and tell everyone about what has been done for you. And so church planting, it really is, all that that it is about is taking the gospel out to the world. That's really the bottom line of church planting, taking the gospel out to the world. Well, what about locally? Yes, this is the world. The world is local. The world is your neighbor. The world is your school. The world is your job. And yes, the world is the other side of the pond. And so we want to take that seriously. And why? Because this is the prescription that we have from Jesus himself, but then it's also the example that he set in his own life. So um, these are, again, our core values, and this is our last one. And I would encourage you and I apologize. I know that we, we've run over on time, but I would encourage you uh, look on our website. These core values are there. Um, they're not complicated. They're not. There's not a lot of difficult um, uh, jargon in there. And they are things that you can really grasp a hold of. And you can make an entire Bible study about each one of these core values because they are very important there. We're going to hold them dear to our covenant relationship. But then also you should hold them dear in your own lives as well. Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace to us uh, this evening. Uh, We're thankful, Father God, uh, for these core values that you have set in the hearts of the leadership team uh, here at Redemption Church. And we pray, Father, uh, that we honor you in them, that we honor you with them, that we live lives in obedience to these core values, not because they are um, inherent, not because they are infallible, but because they are based on your truths, Father. So help us to look at them not as an equivalent of Scripture, but that they might encourage us to study Scripture, uh, that they might prod us on and, de- and to dive deeper into Your Word, so that we might be transformed and that we might live lives that are pleasing to You in Your sight. We pray this, and we ask for Your grace upon us. Uh, we pray for the MidKid family. We're so thankful that they're there, that they are here with us today, and um, we pray for their, Your continued grace upon them. And uh, Lord God, as we uh, end our evening together, we pray for Your grace upon us. As we enjoy this week and help us, Father God, strengthen us, convict us so that we might share the gospel with at least one person this week. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.